Well, this morning, considering all the events we have planned, I'm going to speak to you very briefly. I'm going to teach this scripture passage from Jeremiah, but what is really going to preach are the baptisms and the confirmations. It'll be a visual sermon. We will see people stepping into the new covenant. But I want you to remember something. I want you to remember where this is in your Bible so you can go and find it later. Because the new covenant's not going away. We are in the age of the new covenant, and it is here to stay. So I want you to understand it. So knowing that this is going to be cheesy, I'm going to help you remember it. Because I remember from seminary, when we were learning Greek, the words that had the most silly and outright mnemonic devices were the ones that I still remember today. So considering that it's been a big football weekend, I want you to think of the image of a quarterback going out, under center, ready to get the ball but then he's going to change the play. Think about a quarterback's voice. I don't have a quarterback's voice, but think about the loud booming voice, and he goes, Jeremiah 31, 31. (laughs) Where is the new covenant in the Bible? It's Jeremiah 31, 31. I'm going to ask you later. Um, If you don't hear anything else, at least you know where to go find it. But even more so, to make this easy on you, I'm going to give you a three-point alliterated sermon. And people love this. They love three-point alliterated sermons because they're easy to remember. I'm going to speak to you about law. I'm going to speak to you about love. And I'm going to speak to you about lifetime. Law, love, and lifetime. And this is important because we have people coming today who are being baptized into this new covenant. And we have people coming today who are being confirmed into the new covenant, which means they're taking on the vows that were made when they were infants on their behalf. They're saying, I believe this. This is now a covenant for me and God. So let's talk about the law. The covenant that Jeremiah is contrasting here is the one with Moses. Scholars debate as to how many covenants God has actually initiated, all the way back from Adam, Abraham. um, There's a number of them, several with Abraham potentially, but the one he's mentioning in Jeremiah 31, 31 is the covenant with Moses. And here's what I want you to know about covenants. God is the one who initiates them, and it always starts with his grace. He leads out and then brings people into a covenant. So even in in the garden, Adam and Eve sin, they're hiding. God goes and finds them, and then he enters into a new relationship with them. Or he goes and finds Abraham and says, leave your father's land and go to the land I will show you. And when Abraham gets there, then God initiates a covenant. Or in the case of Moses, the one I'm speaking about, They were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. These are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God sends Moses and says, come, come out. He says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he rescues them through the Red Sea and into the desert. They haven't been expected to do anything yet except follow God's lead. Just obey the the Passover feast and go through the Red Sea. And they follow him out. God's grace initiates the covenant. And then they meet up on Mount Sinai. And on that mountain, God calls Moses up to the top and he gives the covenant. You know the story. You know the Ten Commandments. God says, bring to me two stone tablets. And he brings them up. And with the very finger of God, God writes the covenant law on the tablet and and tells Moses to go back down to the people. But he says, this people, they've already broken out against me. 
So Moses goes down, walks down from the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments on these, sta- these tablets, and he gets down there, and what does he find? The people have made a golden cow, and they're bowing down and worshiping a golden cow, and they're saying, this cow brought us out of Egypt. Moses is so frustrated, he smashes the tablet. He breaks the covenant right there, physically and symbolically, because the people have already broken the covenant with God before it was, they had even time to live in it. The old covenant was incomplete. In Hebrews chapter 8, it quotes Jeremiah and says, the new covenant is better. It's better for a number of reasons. The first one is about the law. The old covenant was written on stone. The new covenant, God says, I will write on their hearts. I will put my law on their hearts so that you can obey it. When we hear the word law, we don't initially think, ooh, great, law, right? You think, ooh, law, rules, barriers, constraints to my freedom. But if you understand law the way that God understands law and what the scriptures teach is law actually is freedom. Just read Psalm 119. The law of the Lord revives the soul. It's perfect. Living according to the law God has given helps you become truly human. The law helps you be who God made you to be. It's not a kill joy. It's not a bad thing. It's a good and perfect thing. It's an expression of God's very character. But the problem is because of sin and and the problem in our hearts, we can't do it on our own. And what God says is in the new covenant, I will put my law on your hearts. Instead of on stone, he's going to write his law on our very hearts. And you know this, you know what the experience is, because Paul, the apostle, talks about it in Romans 2. He says that even Gentiles, those who were not Jews, they know the law, and their very conscience either accuses them of breaking it or excuses them because they're living according to it, because it's now written on their hearts. The thing about your conscience is you can make sure that it stays soft by learning to obey. Listen, when God provokes you in your conscience, don't do this, do that. You have a choice right there. You can go and obey, or you can say, oh, that wasn't God. That's just my own thoughts. That's not, that's not. And what happens is you do that over and over again, and your heart will become hardened, a hardened conscience, and you'll be going back to the stone instead of a heart of flesh. So the first thing is the law is good, and God in the new covenant writes it on your heart, and then with his spirit empowers you to be able to live it. He wants you to be able to obey him, and so he puts his law on your heart. So the first thing is law. The second thing is love. This, this passage from Jeremiah talks about how God is going to constitute a new people in the new covenant. And it says that, I will put my law within them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each teaching his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the greatest to the least. God has revealed himself as the creator, as all-powerful, as mighty, as three in one, but it wasn't until the new covenant that we saw how much of a loving God he is. God shows his love for us on the cross, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we see how much God loves us. And in the old covenant, there were all these barriers. If you were a Gentile, which I suspect in here many of us, most of us are, unless you're of Jewish heritage, you're a Gentile, the Gentiles could only come in to the outer courts. The Jews were allowed to come in further to the inner courts, and then the, the priests were allowed to go into the, the holier places and the high priest into the holy of holies, and only on a certain day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. In the New Covenant, 
from the greatest to the least, they will know me. God wants us to know him personally. And so we have a high priest named Jesus who went into the Holy of Holies and made a perfect offering for all time. Nobody has to sacrifice a sheep or a goat or an ox or anything anymore. There was a once for all time perfect offering that Jesus made on the cross. And through that, we now can go directly into God's throne room and have fellowship with him. He wants you to know him and be known. That's about the love of God for us. And it's an amazing gift. The hierarchy has been broken down, and now the scriptures talk about a priesthood of all believers. There's a priesthood of all believers. But on the other side, and maybe you've said this before, I don't want to hear you saying, "Uh, it's just me and Jesus in the woods. That's where I worship. Because the problem is in here, you know what it says? I will be their God, and they will be my people, plural. Not I will be their God, and they will be my person. The covenant is with a new people constituted. It's a plural people. There is one new people, but it's of many. It's a body with many parts. You belong to one another. You are being baptized and confirmed into the body of Christ. You have a rightful place there. You have gifts that God has given you to offer, and they are complementary gifts. So if I take my gifts off by myself with just Jesus and me, then there are all these other gifts I don't have that aren't there. The gifts are given for the building up of the whole thing. So we have to stay in community, in fellowship with other believers. You are the church, and without you, the church suffers. And without the church, you suffer. That's how God designed it. He wants it to work that way. The priesthood of all believers. So, confirmants, you're being confirmed today. Don't do what so many other people do, which is treat confirmation like graduation. Like, I'm just, I'm done. I graduated from church. I'm checking out. Instead, you're saying, what was promised for me when I was a baby and I was not developed enough in my mind to understand, I understand. I want to be in the new covenant. Today, I take this on for me, and I want to live this. So that's the invitation for you, is not to graduate out of it, but rather to step into it as fully as possible with an adult mind. So we've got the law written on our hearts, we've got the love of God, and he wants to be known, and then at lifetime. He says, I will forgive and remember their sins no more. This is the original forgive and forget, Jeremiah 31. God says, I'm not going to even remember them. Your sins are put away from you. This is for lifetime. This isn't like another step in the revealing of covenants. This is the new and final covenant. And it's forever, for all eternity. It's an eternal covenant that God has established in Christ. When Jesus finished his work on the cross... The Bible says that he ascended to the Father and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What do you do when you've finished a hard day of work? You come home and you plop down on the chair. Your work is done. It is finished, is what Jesus said. So there's no more work to be done for your atonement or for your forgiveness. It's eternal. Forgiveness is always available. So I want you to remember that. Don't hang on to your sin. Confess it. Bring it into the light. God is far more ready to forgive than we are to confess. And if we confess our sins, he forgives us. That's, that's the covenant right there. That's the new covenant. It's about God's law on your heart. It's about loving and knowing God personally without having to go through somebody to get to him. Jesus is, is your high priest. And it's about a lifetime of forgiveness being available. So where, where in the Bible could you go if you wanted to find the new covenant? Thank you. I didn't want to have to do it again. Thank you. (laughs) Jeremiah 31, 31. 
Now, that's the teaching. Now it's time for the preaching. I want those who are being baptized, those who are being confirmed, the godparents, the sponsors, we're going to make a huge pile of people up here inside the rail, and the bishop and I are going to stand, and Chris and Dan are going to stand by the font, and we're going to examine you and prepare you for, for stepping into this. And I'll give more instructions after we sing this song. So let's all join in the singing of this song, and those of you I just named, come on up. It's time to be baptized and confirmed.